Welcome everyone to Not Your Typical Christian Podcast. I'm David, and today we're going to be talking about 1 Corinthians 7 and the topic of singleness, why to live in it, some ways to navigate it. Today's guest is Grant Liller. He's from Indianapolis, Indiana, and I got to say, he has such an amazing knowledge of the New Testament. It was a great conversation. However, there's a lot covered, so the timestamps are posted in the description for anyone who'd like to skip ahead. But without further ado, here's our conversation on singleness. Grant, if you want to go ahead and pray us in. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Uh, Lord, I just want to thank you for this time to be together and discuss some things that are, in fact, touchy. I pray that for those listening, they have ears to hear, that they are open to what we have to say. And when it comes to the things that we have to say, Lord, I pray that they are all from you and not from us. Help our listeners to use discernment and help them to hear whatever it is you want them to hear. And I pray that good growth would come from that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's let's dive in. Verse 1. This, this, this is one of the most fascinating things, right? This is the first time we learn that the Corinthians actually wrote a letter to Paul that did not survive. We don't have that. We don't know, but we can make some guesses based on what he says in 1 Corinthians. So, he says, and I'll, I'll be reading out of the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. So, for those who want to read along. <laughs> so, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is well for a man not to touch a woman. Now, that's a very interesting statement. Uh, he's probably, scholars probably think this is some kind of slogan among the Corinthian people and considering, you know, his previous interactions with them and being familiar with them, he's pro- you know, it'd be, it'd be surprising. Here's, here's a quote I found. It's like, it would be surprising if one or more of these things did not find their way into this letter. Um, so, uh, no, yeah. my curiosity about that first verse, like the mm-hmm. first thing that I, that I, the first question I came up with, I saw that. So is that a teaching of Paul's or is that a Corinthian teaching that Paul is acknowledging or like commenting on? Yeah. I think it is a teaching from the Corinthian people that he's refuting. Right? That's okay. that's why that's in in the quotes and also considering the context. This this is something he wrote or or that they wrote to him. Right? So this is likely something that comes from the Corinthian people that he's like, "Hold on a second. Because that was like like okay it's in quotes but uh-huh. is it was it is he quoting himself is he quoting something of their laws right but now that you explain that it makes way more sense yeah and and also to note in the original greek there there are no quotations this is something that was added afterwards so based on scholars right. they think it was it was a quote and probably a slogan okay so, moving onward in the in verse two this, this is important because this is where we're going to get the very bizarre reason that Paul prescribes marriage. He says this, but because of cases of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So, so notice there, the reason for marriage by, from Paul is to prevent sexual immorality. And, and as we'll see later, it's to contain sexual desire. Very bizarre reasoning from Paul because we're like, what? I thought marriage is like, like, there's things to enjoy about this. But Paul's like, well, maybe, but no, he's he's saying the, the reason is because there's so much sexual immorality among you in the world that y'all need to be careful about. And I think that's best expressed with one person in in the confines of marriage. So... For, for all you singles out there, notice the reason for marriage is not because of loneliness. It's not so you may become complete in the Lord or complete in your spouse. 
it is to prevent sexual desire from getting out of hand. And this whole idea of sexual self-control is a very common theme in 1 Corinthians 7 and a lot of Paul's letters, just self-control in general. He wants people to exercise control over themselves. But that makes a ton of sense, too. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, yeah. like, even looking back at Old Testament, like, how many wives did King David have? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, Paul would probably describe David as out of control. Yeah. <laughs> So, we're going to skip some things, and let's go down to verse 7 next. He says, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has a particular gift from God. It seems like Paul's kind of bragging here, right? It seems like he's kind of throwing a cloak over an insult. (laughs) Right? It's like, you are so smart not to wear stripes in public. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's very... It's very bizarre, and, and I think we have to ask, okay, well, if, if if Paul wishes we were like him, how is he? Like, what what is Paul like? And the answer we get from reading the rest of, of this chapter, he's a master at sexual self-control. He, he is concerned with sexual self-mastery, and he himself is a master of that. And we see that in verse 8. He's unmarried, right? So, this is where he's wishing that we would all be like him. So, mm-hmm. when you ask the question, is, is singleness better? He's, saying, he's starting to point there. He says, I'm unmarried. I wish you were like me and also unmarried and single. And then verse 9 completes this implied message that he can control himself. So, if Paul's the role model and we're supposed to follow him, you know, whatever he's, he's doing from the Lord is good. Um, that includes Again, self-control. I'm going to beat that horse to the end of the episode, that's for sure. Self-control is, is, is great. And we see that, um, like I said, verse 9 completes this whole image. He says, but if they are not practicing self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. So, there is a little caveat to whether or not singleness is better than marriage. He's like, if y'all are struggling with self-control, you should get married. And, and it's also interesting because that phrase, um, aflame with passion, seem, it, it can also be translated like burn with passion. Like it's better to marry than to burn with passion, which kind of implies that you can suffer in, in that desire. So, so not only is self-control a worry here, but also suffering. And, and I think, uh, I, can't, I can't remember, there's another place that we'll discover later on in this chapter where he's like, I say this not to put restraint on you but to promote good order, right? And, and you right. know, he means well to these people. Again, remembering the context that he's friends with those folks in Corinth. So, it makes sense that he would have their best interest in mind. And here, it seems like he's starting to point at the whole singleness thing. Is there, is there anything you wanted to say on that? I mean, not really. I mean, you're doing a, a heck of a job just dissecting this verse by verse. It. Yeah. And that's kind of the beauty I've enjoyed taking from this podcast is that I get to learn also. Mm, yeah. And I should also say as well, you know, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I encourage everyone to listen to this with discernment. Decide for yourself what you think God is trying to tell you. Uh, study the chapter for yourself. Figure out what you see in it. Um, I, I only hope to provide some some parts of, of potential guidance. Uh, my, my, my honest hope is that y- you learn something new. And whether that be something factual, you know, if, if, if God is speaking through me, or if it's just a, a new piece of, of context or information or a new perspective, right? So, right. 
Um, yeah. Kind of going back, going back to what we just read. Because mm-hmm. uh, we kind of got that understanding of where Paul is saying, I'm not married. And I'm <laughs> very happy with it because I have the self-control. Just mm. be like me. Just have the self-control. Don't get married. <laughs> yeah. Is he kind of trying to hint at like sex being just like is he like he is he thinking like sex being bad almost? Mm. Like yeah, I'm not, I'm trying to understand where he's coming where he's coming from with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. It's it's interesting because I th- I think his argument would be that too much sex is bad. I think that's very safe to say considering yeah. the, an ancient historical context. Or at least Paul's context, where his, his argumentation is that, you know, if you're having too much of it, you're out of control. Right. Again, it's it's all about self-control for, for Paul. Um, so, yeah. Does that kind of answer the question? Yeah. Cool, cool. So, we can uh, continue on here. I think we're actually going to jump down many verses, because the next section is kind of un- unrelated to the topic of singleness. Um, right. So... The the whole thing is, if Paul is is so concerned and caught up about self control, why 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 would we exercise self control? And I think that that gets answered when we jump to verse seventeen, this this other section here. Let each of you lead the life that the Lord has assigned to which God call you. This is my rule in all the churches. And th- then the next verses get a little confusing. Um, because, you know, he just talked about living the life that God has assigned to us and called us to. And then he starts talking about circumcision. Like, okay, very weird, but, but bear with me here. He says, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. I, I want to pause there too. I don't know how, how that's supposed to work or, or how Paul suggests we, we remove or, or reverse circumcision. Like, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know yeah. what I'm implying there. That's like it's a very bizarre argumentation from Paul. That's for sure. But uh, I think I think his point is is better in, in the next half. He says, "Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Why? Because circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But obeying the commandments of God is." everything. Almost everywhere in the New Testament, you can find something about the obedience to the commandments of God. It is, it is one of the marks of a true believer that they obey God's commandments, that they submit to whatever authority he has, and that they desire to keep these commandments. In other words, this is what it means to see Jesus as the Lord of your life. I think oftentimes we just, you know, brush over that title and we just say, say Lord. Oh yeah, Jesus is Lord, whatever. But we don't ever stop to consider what that means. And this right here in, in verse 19 is exactly what it means. It's that we, we submit to him and that we obey him. Whatever he has to say, we are obligated to conform to that command. So, Continuing on here, right? There, there, to, to provide context, why, the, why, why does Paul talk about circumcision? It's because, again, remembering Paul's Jewishness here, um, and also him living in Jewish tradition, 
the mark of a follower of God, a Jew, used to be circumcision. Right. This is kind of this is kind of problematic because like how are we supposed to know if they are a follower of God? Like that's it's not a great indicator of of who's following God. Right. Yeah. Which which is why I'm personally so grateful that we now have you know this idea of fruits of the spirit and bearing fruit, you know, and d- showing that we follow God through our actions and our and our obedience to whatever he has to say and command us. Because circumcision, it's just not great. Because not not only is that is that weird, and especially if we had to check, but also because women can't get circumcised. No. So so what about them? So this this leads us to the new mark of a believer. I kind of hinted at it, but the the new mark of a believer is that they follow the commands of God. I I, I think that there's just that. Is, is so important to anyone, anyone who's a Christian, you know, do you desire to obey the commands of God out, out of love for him and what he's done for you? The gospel message that Christ died to, to take on the punishment you and I deserved, you know, that, that cross was probably meant for us. Yeah. I know death is certainly meant for us and our death will be evidence that God is serious about sin for the wages of sin is death. God pays us our wages, which is death for our transgressions, for our breaking of the law. To, to put it into a short sentence, we broke the law, Jesus paid the fine. And so, out of love and reverence for that concept and, and that truth, more importantly, everything within us should be motivated to obey whatever God has to say. And to glorify him through everything we do. Because that is truly why we were made. To be instruments, to be vessels of God. To glorify him in everything we do. You know, that's that's 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that's, that's later in the same letter. So, obedience to God is so big. Did you, did you want to add anything to that? No, I mean, you, you're just speaking facts okay i'm I'm grateful um i'm glad the biggest point in all of first corinthians 7 is is this next part in verse 20 he says let each of you remain in the condition in which you were called are you a slave remain as such are you married that's okay remain as such are you unmarried remain as such in other words remain as you are and that's very difficult for all of us yeah i mean i would hope because that probably shows you're human but especially for for us singles it is very hard especially when we desire marriage to just remain as we are because we don't we don't want to be single a lot of us and so I think the peace and the joy comes from being able to accept our circumstance and see that there is potential good in this circumstance and, and that we can find contentment in this season or maybe even lifetime of singleness. I know that's a scary thought, a lifetime of singleness. I don't want to be single for the rest of my life. No, you know? no, same boat. <laughs> so, and, and we'll we'll address that. And we'll get to that at the near the end of this video. Uh, we're going to continue 
just kind of walking through this. And the reason why we're going through, uh, I mean, probably all of this chapter is because it provides the context to every thought process we have about singleness. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, you need to wait to the end and you need to sit through this because it, the, the revelation that I had occur to me as I studied this and sat through it and worked through it is just it's it's amazing and and the peace I feel I can't I can't wait to share it with you and I'd love to jump there but I think it's important to to continue verse by verse so let's let's continue that um, yeah so verse twenty six is where we get that idea of remaining as as you are right it is well to remain as you are but if you jump back to verse twenty one where we just left off um, he says something along the lines of make use of your present condition now more than ever. So that's a challenge in and out of itself, but it's also a challenge to find the blessing and the joy in your circumstance, no matter how bad it is. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. It's, it's a challenge to us. How do we make use of our condition? Well, you got you to gotta figure out why you're there, right? And this takes a lot of, of time of reflection and solitude and being with the Lord and praying, sitting silent, being spiritually disciplined to uncover the things that are glorious about God. It, it takes all of those things. So, it, my, my question to, to start that off, about, think this about your, your circumstance. Can you learn something? Is there something God is teaching you? Especially in the context of singleness, perhaps that's dependence on him instead of others. I know loneliness is a struggle for those of us, not, not just those of us who are single, but just believers in general can struggle with loneliness and, and dependence on others and, and our friends. And, and for me, like my roommates to, to help give me joy. But I had the harsh realization now that they're both moved out, my roommates, all good things in life must come to an end. Right. Except our joy in God Almighty. Yeah. And our joy in salvation through Jesus Christ. Right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the one thing of goodness that will never end. So perhaps he's teaching you to be dependent on him. And the joy that he provides. Let's let's uh, I think uh, I might I might want to skip down here. Oh no, this next part's really important. I can't skip this. <laughs> and then, and then we're gonna get start getting into some of the the, the big questions. So verse twenty two, right? So I, I said I mentioned being a slave, right? And some some people might have found that uncomfortable, and, and rightfully so, because I think we have a different thought of slavery now versus what it was in the ancient world. Uh, and we right. won't get into that because it's a little bit aside from, from the conversation, but. Um, it is important to note that Paul talks about it here. And he says, for whoever was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed person belonging to the Lord, just as whoever was free when called is a slave of Christ. Okay, why is this the case? Verse 23, you were bought with a price. That, that's all we need to read right there. We were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20, yeah, for you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So this this is one motivation why we we are listening to Paul's recommendation about self-control and contentment most importantly or or perhaps equally. So the the way we glorify God in our body 
to Paul is that we must exercise bodily and sexual self-control. I've beaten that horse. And not only is this how to glorify God in your body by abstaining from fornication and sexual immorality, but also it's the reason we give up our desires and perhaps even our desires for marriage. It's because we owe everything to God. He bought us with the precious blood of Christ. And he bought, he purchased our whole life. Not just some of it. He's not the side dish. You know, it's, it's not, I'm going to live my life with a little Jesus on the side. It's, he bought our whole life. He is the main course of every meal, of every snack and dessert. Every second of every day is owed to God. Even just living and waking up another day is a testament to the gift of the mercy from God and the mercy of God. So, we owe our undivided attention to God, and we're going to see that in verses 32. Well, let's, let's just jump down there, right? Why, why don't we get married? Or, or, or why is Paul saying that it's better not to marry? Point number one is from verse 29, the time of Christ's return is imminent. It's basically what he's saying. So, so don't be distracted. Devote yourself fully to him because we're bought with a price. Number two why not to get married, is so that you can be free from unnecessary anxieties that may result, and in Paul's eyes, will result in marriage. That's verse 32. And then back to verse 28, why not to get married? Because you will experience distress in this life. Well, I, I, I don't think marriage is, is you know, distressing. I, th- I think some married people might, might argue that, <laughs> that you're capping. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, th- I think what we define as stress is a little different from what Paul says. So, let's look at what he says. Let's finally get to verse 32. Amazing, amazing verse here. It says this, The unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the affairs of the world, how to please his wife. And, verse 34, his interests are divided well, that's a pretty harsh statement, Paul. I, I, I think marriage is a, is a wonderful thing. Those are some pretty harsh words to say about, about marriage. So, and, and he, yeah, so go ahead. Paul, so, is Paul basically saying that singleness is, be- is better than marriage, but just not for everyone? Is that kind of what he's getting towards? Yeah. And I, I think it's important to define, too, like, who is everyone, you know? Is, is it just those without the gift to be able to endure this, I, I I don't I don't think so. I wouldn't be so fast to jump to that conclusion because I think he could just be talking to everyone because even even the people who are married. Because later on he says those who are married live as though you are not, right? So you know there, there's this there's this point that again we owe all of our attention to God and to to be married our interest would be divided, and that. You know, I think this this can best be answered in, in verse 35, uh, which says, you know, I, again, what I said earlier, I say this for your own benefit, not to put any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and unhindered devotion to the Lord. That's what he wants to promote. 
So I think it is better for, for, for everyone, or at least Paul would say that, that is, it's better to be single and have so much time and so much more time to solely devote to the Lord without hindrance, without division, and, and without distraction. Marriage can be a good thing, but to Paul here, it's, it's not. Does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, and cool. It it very clearly points out the. Uh, it kind of it kind of came to another question I'd come up about like, what yeah. makes singleness a gift? But it's it's showing mm. like it, it yeah. right there. It just mm-hmm. it tells you exactly, because it's the unhindered devotion. Yeah, the gift is time. <laughs> the gift is having time to to use to glorify God and give back to him because we belong to him and we, we therefore kind of owe him everything. It's like we are living on borrowed time, not our own. And so, and so Paul's argument is that like our time should be spent worrying about the things of the Lord and how to please him, not, not our wives. And he's not saying to neglect your wives, but he's saying like, you know, those of you, who are married are going to have to do that with your wives and worry about how to please them and also please God. And that can bring you more, more distress. That can be harder to, to find your own relationship with God while also being in a relationship with someone else, especially the husband who is, you know, over the wife and is supposed to lead the wife in, in a godly manner. That That's where it gets really hard because you're leading two people's spiritual lives and that can become burdensome. And so, Paul, maybe this is taking it too far, but perhaps you could argue that Paul's like, worry about yourself. And I'm over oversimplifying that. I think it's more like, right. worry about your, like your, your relationship with God, because that's, that's what's really most important. Or maybe not most important, but it is something that is important. And that makes total sense. That kind of funnels to like, trying to figure out what the hope were offered through mm. being single. Yeah. Because we have that time. We have the ability to give that atten- that unhindered devotion. We have yeah. that time to give that dedication, that time to God. And in return, we get the best the best thing in return we could possibly get. Absolutely. It's it's God's God's ability to work through us and we get to we get to see more of that. Right, so it's it's not just for God; it's for our own benefit too. I think this this boils down to a couple of brief questions that are that are super important. It's uh, like, can I can I do both? Can can I do marriage and this this single thing? Well, obviously obviously not. But like, can can I marry and have devotion to the Lord? And it's like yes, but Paul is arguing not as much time to devote. Um, right. And I think another thing that's a super important reminder is that this whole this whole idea and recommendation of singleness and celib- celibacy is just that. It's a recommendation from Paul. And he's saying, like, I think it's better to stay single. Um, but also he says, like, in, in verse 36, uh, if, if, you, if it really has to be that way, um, it is no sin to marry. It's perfectly fine to get married. It is not a sin. So please, please hear that. This, this is just... You know, how can we grow and how can we be content in this, in this life of singleness? Because 
you know, Paul's clearly making this argumentation, uh, verse 38, uh, he who marries his fiance does well, but also he who refrains from marriage will do even better. You know, and we, we've already talked about that, like, because we can give more time to the Lord. Now, again, this is a hard thing to wrestle with, so we're going to we're gonna get to that at the, at the end with some, some questions. And I, I think... I, I think I think some people might might have this question, so I wanted to briefly touch on it. Um, okay. If this teaching of Paul is true, is marriage just for sex? That can just be a depressing thought. Right. But, but like it's it, it's definitely a purpose, but I certainly don't think it's the sole purpose of marriage because you have Ephesians five that emphasizes you know how you can bring glory to God and His design for marriage. And like, you know, how does that work? It's because, you know, the reflection in marriage of the illustration of Christ coming for his bride, the church, right? And that's, that's what Paul says, Genesis 2.24 refers to, you know, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother to be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh, right? Um, first, Peter also has some notes about what it looks like to honor God in marriage. So, there's clearly an honoring aspect, honoring God in marriage. So, it's, it's, it's not just for, for sex, that is just a reason for the prescription Paul gives here. So right. I, I think that's that's super important to address. It, marriage can be a very beautiful thing, um, and and we can bring glory to God's design for a male and female and for marriage, husband and wife. So um, also in marriage, you could make the argument, but I think I think what you should remember is that Paul even advised those who are getting married or are in a marriage to exercise self-control. That's verses uh, 37. Um, you know, he, he will do well if he can keep his desire under control, is, is his point. He's, he's saying, it's, it's, if you're going to get married, it'll be even better for you if you can exercise self-control. So, here's, here's the big question. Let's get into let's get into the questions. This is the moment everyone's been waiting for. You, you suffered through, or perhaps not. Maybe maybe you found it enjoyable, but you know I, I don't typically like to hear myself speak, or maybe I do, and I just prefer people don't have to suffer through that with me. So, thank you for bearing with me, and you too, David. Um, but I think let's let's start applying things. Let's get to the the questions. Starting with, what can we learn from First Corinthians seven? We hear from verses 35 and 38 that singleness conclusively is better to Paul than being married. This is what he receives from his wisdom of God. He's saying, I believe this, that singleness is better than being married. So, to understand what we should do, we need to figure out why Paul makes that argument. So, we're going to do a little bit of a recap here and also some additional context to the whole letter. Part of his goal in 1 Corinthians when he writes to these people it's to help understand the faith we profess in Christ. And part of that faith and being a believer is, as he says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, we mentioned it earlier, it's the desire to glorify God in all that we do. And for Paul, in chapter 7, that means glorifying God in our present circumstance. That's the point of chapter 7. So, if his goal is to encourage us to glorify God, how do we do that? And I think this is this can be best started and addressed with a passage from Philippians 4. So, bear with me. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, 
if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, (laughs) there it is again, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Remember, Paul's that role model. And what have we seen in Paul? For us, he is content in his present circumstance. And in this case, and in Philippians, prison. That's where Paul is. Another thing is that he exercises self-control. He obeys God and he remains in his circumstance of living a life of celibacy and a life of singleness. Remember again, it's not a sin to desire marriage or get married, but Paul is urging us to find content in our singleness. And for those of us who are engaged in preparing for marriage to exercise control. And, and that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't just mean those people. It's also those who are single and who are already married to exercise self-control. It's important for literally everyone on the face of the planet to exercise self-control, especially in the context of sexual desire. You're not off the hook if you're married. Let's just put it that way. So, point number one from this passage and from 1 Corinthians 7 is we must be content in our circumstance and should remain as we are if we can. Remember, as Paul was saying earlier on in chapter 7, that everyone has different gifts. Some can control themselves. Others, you know, like they, they can remain celibate. Others can merely tolerate it. And some just cannot control themselves whatsoever. And for those people, it is better for them to marry. That's Paul's argument, right? Right. Point number two, though, while we wait, we must exercise sexual self-control. And that, that is refraining from lust and lusting after any person, abstaining from sex, and remaining disciplined in the things of the Lord. Remember, sex is not a bad thing. You get into marriage, it, it can be a beautiful thing, but too much, perhaps, can be harmful in Paul's eyes. Number three, uh, abstaining from pornography and gratifying the flesh there. Abstain from masturbation and be able to say no to sexual temptations. And lastly, stay away from anything sexually impure, charged, or motivated. This is this again, this is in the context of sexual self-control and how how to do that. Right? And and those are just those are just some of my recommendations of what I have found particularly helpful based on what I've read from scripture and what I've gathered from other Christian ministries and great Christian teachers. Those are just those are just my thoughts and my recommendations. And some of those things work for you. Some of those things are definitely going to be really hard for you. And I, I would just, I would encourage you to, to call upon the, the strength of the Lord and to pray about that stuff because it's very hard. And I would encourage you to go find a local church community and a church body that you can be a part of that, that can help lead you in the things that are holy and glorifying to God. And, you know, the, the reason why we, why we do those things and we obey what God has to say is because they lead to more joy. All, all commands from God are for our good in some way or another. It's not for us to question how, but rather to trust in who we have good reason to trust. And kind of a, a little bit of a backtrack to show like just how vast and how important sexual immorality or the prevention of it can be. Look at—I can think of like another, like a handful of other religions that also 
talk about it and say, mm-hmm. this is part of this religion. Like <laughs> you have, uh, two of the, two of the big, the three of the big ones I can think of are like Buddhism, Hinduism, and like Islam. Those are three big ones that all talk about celibacy. And it, it just shows like how, whether you want to look at it from a secular view, Christianic view, or any other religion view that you want, it shows that there is some importance to being sexually moral. Mm-hmm. And, and like psychologically and, and uh, scientifically as well, it's very exactly. important because psychologically, when you have sex or sexual intercourse, or I mean, what, whatever, any kind of sexual activity with another person, you are physically, not only physically, but also chemically bonding to that person. You know, people like to talk about the the whole idea of catching feelings for someone, you know, or feeling attached to someone. Mm-hmm. A big thing that can feed that attachment is sexual interactions. And that that can that can be like even even kissing for some people. Which is why like me me personally, I'd I'd probably set up a boundary in that department. Um, you know, if if that if it's going in for a second kiss, maybe we not do that or kissing for a certain amount of time because that, that could get out of control. Like I know myself better than, than anyone else. And, and God knows me better. Hence why he's probably recommending me to do those things. And and that, so that might not be the same for those listening, but you know, I know how I function. And so I want to best set up myself so that I don't wrong the person I'm called to love. Exactly. Exactly. So let's, let's circle back to being content in our circumstance. Like, how do we do that? Um, <laughs> all right, so let, let's go here. How do I know if I'm called to singleness? <laughs> this is a scary question, right? Um, yeah. but I think for those who are scared, I would say ease up a little bit. Cause this, this might actually be refreshing to you. I'm going to give my opinion here from reading Paul. I think you could say that those of us who are currently single, are called to singleness like in our in our present state if we are being instructed or recommended rather to remain as we are then right now we are called to being single and enduring this season of singleness so wherever we are whatever status we are what our circumstances it's better to remain this way so so don't don't seek anything else I would I would say for those who find it easy to find content, to find contentment or value in being single, or, or maybe that those things come naturally to you, then I would say to continue not to seek anything outside of that and to live in that contentment for as, as long as you can, perhaps the rest of your life. And if God decides to bring a wife, a woman into your life as, as some kind of surprise, then it's up to you if you want to pursue that or not. And I would encourage you to use your discernment there based on, on what I've, I've seen from scripture and, and what you've learned from scripture. That's where you exercise your discernment. So I think we're all called to live in our circumstance. That, that's how I would sum up that question. We're all called to something. And, and for us right now, we got to be content in our circumstance. So then the question becomes, is it wrong to desire marriage? And I, I think I think this breaks down in, in, into two questions. So, and, and that second question will come after I give my answer. So, again, bear with me, and I appreciate you listening. I hope I'm not talking oh, I, too much. Oh, I've loved it. 
I'm glad. I'm glad. So feel free to even interrupt me at any point too. I'll try to leave space for you. So is it wrong to desire marriage? I don't think so. I would say no, because remember, it's just a recommendation for celibacy. That's Paul's suggestion. It's not an authoritative command from the Lord. Paul also says it is not a sin to marry. So therefore, I'd say it's okay to desire marriage and get married, but I would recommend that we take Paul's other piece of advice to have your desire under control or else things might get out of control in, in that marriage. I mean, that again, Paul's concern is contentment and self-control in 1 Corinthians 7 and many other places, not just here. So, yeah, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want your marriage to become out of control lest it gets destructive. Pornography, for example, is destructive in a marriage. Science shows this. There are no good benefits to pornography in a marriage. Like, we, we have evidence to back this up. Yeah. That's, that's, probably, that's probably my boldest claim of this entire podcast so far. And, and I think we, we need to overcome any habits to pornography before entering in a marriage because that's what it means to be under control, to not look at those things, to not lust after other women, to not commit adultery. Again, Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust, that's adultery. So, so looking at pornography is lusting and it's adultery in our hearts. So we need, we need to avoid that. And for whatever reason, that's controversial in, in society today. And I, I would encourage anyone who thinks that pornography is good to, to reconsider your research and, and, and go look at the arguments against pornography. So, bottom line is that we should go into marriage with control over our desires. And, and Paul says to those who are single that they should not seek a wife. It would be better for us not to. And here's, here's, here's the question coming up again. Well, what if, what if by surprise, you know, the wife finds us, God gives us a wife and be like, okay, yeah, that's, that's acceptable. It's up to us to use our discernment. And, you know, for, for me personally, I would say like the goal is to, is to pursue godly women in friendship. And, and if it, and if it grows into something greater, all right, God, I will take you up on that offer. But I think let's reconsider this mindset to pursue godly women in friendship. This this is something I got from uh, Pastor Matt Chandler down in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, the Village Church. Amazing, amazing preacher. And and this is something I learned from him. It's like pursue godly women in friendship. I don't necessarily agree with him when he says to do that in hopes that it would turn into something greater because I think that's actually unhealthy for us. Yeah. And, and I would actually encourage someone to be careful about that when you are pursuing these friendships. Like, earnestly pursue healthy friendships with godly women. Because contrary to popular belief, it is possible to have platonic relationships with women. And I think a big contributing factor to that is because of the work the Lord is doing in our lives to sanctify us and make us more like him and to see other women as creatures that he has created and beautiful creations, fearfully and wonderfully made just as ourselves, you know, the the Psalms point to this, right? So, like, don't treat every woman like she could potentially become your wife one day. Even if you were to start dating, she doesn't belong to you. 
Y'all are brother and sister. You know, and in fact, she owes you nothing. Not even as a friend. No one owes you anything. Mm-hmm. And so whatever anyone, or in this case, whatever she decides to give to you is what she wants to give to you. So my advice, and this is also advice to myself mainly, is to earnestly pursue her as a friend, not to be your spouse one day. If that happens, great. I believe it is a thing from the Lord, but you must check your heart on this. I I, I believe that if God has a wife for you, he will reveal it to you. You don't have to chase it. I've made that mistake before, and it hurts. It does. It's it's not it's not a pleasant experience, and it just shows that it's just more concrete that proof that it does it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This leads to that second part of the question, and I I want anyone listening, and if you're still listening this far, um, I'm grateful for that. And I commend you, but I want you to to commit to finding the answer to this question, to dig into it, lean into it, and get a grip on it. We've been talking about being content, so let's finally get to the question. How can we become content in singleness? Or for me, how I would ask this question, how do I not seek a wife or a spouse when that is what I want. This is a very deep and personal struggle of mine. So all, all of this advice that I've given is to myself and the advice I'm about to give is also being preached to myself. And all this is based again on the wisdom I've collected from, from being a Christian for a while, um, Christian sources, ministries, pastors, people far wiser from me. This is information and wisdom I've collected from them. It is not my own. And even from them, it comes from God. And for me, it comes from a God who directed me to those people, right? So, number one, firstly, rejoice in the Lord always and rejoice in his goodness. That's Philippians 4.1, to rejoice in the Lord always. And how do we do that? We have to rejoice in our hope because we have a hope in Christ, that being our salvation and everlasting life, we can focus on what is good for that reason. And, and how do we focus on that good and what is good? You know, the way you do that is by having an attitude of gratitude. Very cheesy. I hated it when I first heard it, but it's so true. Because if you reflect on what God has given to you and you reflect on that constantly and what he's done in your life, I mean, you'll be in awe, you'll be in wonder at how much God has actually been working in your life this whole time. And I think it's especially important to consider the little things, not just the big valleys that he's pulled us out of. I guarantee we have all taken things for granted. Like, here's some small things, right? Some of us have the ability to walk on our own, to eat and drink on our own, make meals on our own, brush our teeth, get dressed, drive a car, ride a bike, to breathe on our own strength, live without aid, get enough nutrients, eat the things we want to eat. And these are all blessings from the Lord, but most of those things, if not all of them, we take for granted. Mm. So the question is, how do you show more gratitude to God for these things? Well, for one, not taking them for granted, 
but also giving thanks to the Lord for these things constantly. And, and again, like, where, where do we get this idea? Back to Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think perhaps a reading of Philippians would be helpful to those of us who are single. I could definitely use that. I'll probably use that later today. I probably will too. Yeah. This passage is the golden ticket to unlocking God's peace. When we have the ability to trust in God's power and willingness to help us, and we take this mindset of trust into our prayer life, then the peace revealed to us will surpass all understanding. It will be so magnificent and so great to us, we will not even be able to comprehend how it's even possible. How, how else can we, can we become content in singleness? Here's, here's the second point. Seek to glorify God in all that you do, always, whether you eat or drink. Again, I've said it three times. 1 Corinthians 10.31. That's the point. Now, why should we do this? I think important to note, not only is it because it's our call or part of our call as believers, but by being grateful and again, giving thanks to God always, we will be able to experience and recognize his goodness in every second of our life, hence bringing us more everlasting joy. Isn't that a big drive for people to find more joy? Yeah. (laughs) Like... This is how the Bible tells us to find it. This is how God tells us to find it. And so I, th- I think it's helpful to ask, you know, in, in, the, in seeking to obey this, what's the motivation? Why should I become content now? Like, I hate, I hate my circumstance. I don't want to be in this, this place. I, I, you know, I, my circumstance sucks. And, and to that person, I hear you. I hear you because I am that person. I've been there. I've done that. I've thought that. Here, here's the revelation I mentioned at the very beginning. We know, we, we know this. For Paul in 1 Corinthians, his motivation for urging us to be content is for this one reason. Because he understands that Christ could return at any moment. We ought to grasp this understanding. And and we know that because of these things, Paul thinks those who are married should live as though they are not married. And for us singles, we should live our lives as though we will never be married. As though Christ could return before we even get a chance to meet the person we would marry. Or even he returns before we get to ask them out. Right. He could literally return as we're listening to this podcast, or as we're talking. Two minutes from now. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and some people find this silly, or, or, or maybe some people find this difficult. But it's like, are you, are you living your life that way? As if Christ could return in the next minute? Like, like what would you do if you knew Christ was going to return in the next hour? And, and would all those things be wise? Probably not. 
you can interpret that all sorts of ways. Maybe you could be like, oh, well, if that was the case, I'd, I'd tell her that I loved her and then, you know, whatever. And I mean, like, yeah, you could do that. You could, you could do that. But I don't think that's the point. Because the point for Paul is to remain as you are and to find out how to be content there. So don't, don't be concerned about marriage. Don't, don't let that get you caught up in the worldly pursuit of marriage. That, that's, what, that's what it can turn into. It can be a very unhealthy thing to desire marriage. It's not inherently wrong, but it can very easily take up a lot of your time. It can turn into thoughts of infatuation where she is all you think about and that can damage your relationship with yourself, with her, with God. It, it becomes sinful at that point. So you have to be careful when, when you are desiring marriage and you have to have self-control. Keep yourself grounded in reality. Like there, there have been some times where I'm lying in bed and I'm like thinking about a girl and I have, to, I have to remind myself. I'm like, bro, you're laying in your bed right now and you're alone. And I know that that's like kind of harsh. You're like, wait, but no, God's with you. And like, yeah, I know that. But what I'm saying is there is no girl beside you. You don't belong to, to her or, or anyone for that matter. It's like you are alone. So I, you have to stay grounded in reality for that. And I think that for a while. Yeah. That, David, that's add, a, that's add a, something. That, that's a, that's a huge one though. That, uh, yeah. that realization of staying grounded and, Re- and again, like you said, realizing that nobody owes you anything and you don't owe anybody right. anything. It's just been crazy just to see how just it's written down. It's This is how things need to be. And we know what we need to do, but it just shows that we all still struggle. Mm, yeah. That's what it means to be human. Exactly. <laughs> it's the reality of our of our condition. I read this this book over spring break. My church took a spring break trip. It's called The Way of the Heart by Henry Nouwen. I think there's a, there's a lot to learn from it about um, you know spending time in solitude and alone time and quiet time with with God. And, and one of the things is like he's he's talking about why that's so difficult to do, and it's it's you know because of our condition. And he says, um, oh yeah, the, the struggle is because the danger is real. And the danger is living our whole life as one long defense of, of what our condition actually is. And that, that is that we are sinful. And so we're gonna, the danger is spending our entire life trying to prove to ourselves that we're good people or that we're virtuous or that we're righteous. And we're not. And so a, a big point of spending alone time with God is to meditate on the fact that like, yo, this is, this is who I am. Like I'm a sinful creature. Mm-hmm. I, I deserve death today. I did not deserve to wake up. Like really thinking about that because of our sin, death is what we deserve and we deserve it right now. But God is being so merciful to let us continue living. Uh, people often ask like, why doesn't God come back and destroy all evil right now? I think that's a scary thing to ask and you shouldn't be asking it because he could start with you. Yeah. Right. So your living is evidence of God's mercy. And I, sometimes I got to wake up or sometimes I just got to humble myself and say, you know what? I deserve hell today. That's the harsh truth. And to some people that sounds absolutely insane. But in the context of the Christian life and what God has to say about our condition, it's the harsh truth. That's like the reason Christ dies for us is because of how sinful we are and that his 
his righteousness, his perfect and infinite nature is the only thing that can bridge that gap back to God and restore relationship, our relationship to God. I, I tell people often, like, I don't like to say that. I don't like to face that reality or even if i'm witnessing to somebody like i don't like to tell them that because it forces them to hug the cactus <laughs> i'm like hey christianity is great now hug this cactus yeah embrace this thing that will cause you years <laughs> of pain exactly so you know to to, to i think there's a, a verse from paul he's like to those perishing the word is folly to them or the word is foolishness to them they don't understand it but to those with the spirit, it does make sense to us. So, um, if, if you understand those things and you are able to um, grasp onto those things, uh, I'd say there's good reason to believe you have the spirit. If it does sound like foolish to you, I'm not necessarily saying that you don't have the spirit, but I am saying like, hey, you know, re- reconsider like what our condition is and like what the Bible has to say about it. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's not this thing where you live your whole life like, oh, I'm miserable or whatever. Like, that's that's not what Christ commands us. In fact, we're kind of commanded to, um, we're commanded to be joyful in the Lord, right? So, right. yeah, it's, it's a weird, interesting balance, and we can definitely save that for another episode. But Yeah. Well, I got to be honest, Grant, this was probably one of the most educational moments of my life because uh, I have huh. learned just so much from that one just one chapter alone yeah um and again credit to you where it's due because that was impressive i appreciate it but i I have to say yet not i was not it's not me who who is able to to comprehend these things it's the spirit of christ living in me exactly so yeah i'm i'm grateful that you had me on you sent out the invite um and i'm glad you you got in uh, some wisdom from it and i hope that the people listening to it also receive that as well thanks for thanks for indulging me yeah thanks uh thanks again for sharing your time just sharing your, your knowledge on this of course um i look forward to talking with you on the next episode about marriage yeah that'll um, be that'll be a good one and we'll definitely be revisiting this chapter yes and i feel <laughs> like it's going to be a great a great conversation mm-hmm 100 percent